when I look at footy coaches, right, NFL, whatever, right, that the coach of the team typically can see from the sidelines what the team needs to work on. And then their practice that week is based on what he saw in the game. And he went, right, guys, your defense was terrible. We're working on defense this week. The players don't go, hey, coach, this is what we're going to work on this week. And the coach go, oh, yeah, whatever you guys want, I'll do. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. As always, I'm your host, Josh Nichols. And on today's episode, we've got part two of two with Ryan Moke. We talk about whether or not you should think about your swing while you play, how much you should work on at one time, how invested in a coach you should be, how to get the most out of a lesson, the value of knowing your own swing tendencies, and getting it done with ugly golf. If you don't know who Ryan is, uh, he's a swing instructor. Uh, He does a lot of online lessons uh, uh, using Skillist. I'll have his links uh, and stuff in the show notes of the episode. If you want to learn more about him and kind of his background, part one has all of that in it. So that that episode was released a, a week before this one. So go check him out. He's he's really good at what he does, and I love the way he talks about it. So we get into some really good stuff. But before we get into this episode, I want to tell you about the custom weekly practice plan. You give me your stats or your assessment of your driving approach shots, short game, and putting, and you tell me when you can typically practice and I will hand build you a practice plan and send it to you in PDF form, as well as a customizable template with practice challenges. If you're interested in practicing better and practicing the way that I did to get good enough to make it to the finals of a USJ championship, then you need a custom weekly practice plan. Go to joshnicholsgolf.com slash practice dash plan, or go to the link in the show notes to learn more and purchase your practice plan. And if you feel like you need one-on-one work on your mental game, that's what I do. Yes, I host this podcast and I build practice plans, but my actual occupation is working with players all over the world on their golf psychology. If you like the mental golf show and the topics that I cover with guests uh, like Ryan or in my Golf Thought Thursday episodes, this is the exact type of stuff that I work on with players. So if you'd like to take the next step to improve your mental game, then send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com or visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com. Or if you'd like a less formal intro to mental coaching, where you don't have to spend any money and you don't have to talk to me at all, you could take the mental game assessment. It's a 15-minute questionnaire that'll give you your mental strengths and your biggest area for mental improvement. It's a great resource, the same resource I use with my players, to start working on your mental game. And the best part, it's free. The link to everything I've mentioned, including Ryan Moke's stuff, will be in the show notes of this episode. All right, let's get into this conversation with Ryan Moke. We're going to jump right into the middle, so buckle up. Hope you enjoy. Uh, maybe I could use my own personal example. The way that I would think about it was, okay, I'm making changes, but I'm also regularly playing and, and um, playing in competitions and tournaments. I would work really, really hard on my swing and then show up to the course and just wing it and just see what happens and then get back to practicing and then get and then go back to the course and just wing it. Is that how you think about it or do you or do you think, no, the, the course is an opportunity to continue to develop it um, because my way of thinking about it was like two steps forward in practice, one step backward 
during a round, two steps forward, one step back? Or do you or do you say, no, a round of golf should not be that step back. You should still be developing it, thinking about your technique. How do you, how do you, like, what would you tell a player? Yeah, so famous little line that I heard once, and it really shocked me, to be fair. This is what changed my belief on this, was Kari Webb was on a podcast. Cannot remember for the life of me what podcast it was, but she was saying that, there was one tournament in her career where she didn't have a swing thought. One tournament. So literally, I don't know how many she's played, but for every single tournament bar one, she had a swing thought. Now, there's this thing in golf where, you know, you should go to the range and you should think about your golf swing. You should do all this kind of stuff. But when you go on the course, you should just not think about it, right? Now, yeah, okay, I understand that. Um, I personally can't do it. Because let's say that my takeaway goes way too far inside, okay? Now, when I'm on the range, I have to think about, for example, hinging that golf club up out in front of my hands. I need to exaggerate that. And even that exaggeration, when I put it on video, the club's sitting in front of my hands. So that's exactly where I want to put it, right? But then if I don't think about it, where is it going to go? It's probably going to go back inside because... I need to think about it quite aggressively or intently to get it to even remotely where I need it. Right. So if you go on the co- on the golf course and you, oh, I'm just not going to think about it. Well, if your inside takeaway is producing your poor shots and you don't think about getting the cl- club back in front of you, are you not just going to hit bad shots? Right. So I probably need some more experience with this one. Sure. But I would say. Just for me personally, I think thinking about it to some degree is needed. Um, but this is where golf gets a little difficult because you're kind of like, well, you've got to think of all the other stuff as well. So maybe you start to, instead of thinking about it, you create a feel around that thought. So, you know, the, the feel might be, you know, try to take the club and hinge the club head outside the golf ball. Maybe that's what you think about or feel. I, I, I don't know. It depends on the player. but. You know, a lot's to be said for doing it behind the golf ball in your routine. Right. Use it as a little waggle, right? So you're over a ball, getting ready to go, have your little waggle, like a Justin Thomas type, kind of put that club in position there, and then just go ahead and hit it and trust that trust that it's going to work. But I would say to just go out on course and go, I'm not thinking about swing today. I I would challenge anybody in the world to say, Did you did you truly do that for seventy eight? 90 shots today i 100 percent guarantee that no i thought about it on hole four on my second shot yeah well there you go so mm. yeah that's that's probably my take on it i could be wrong i could be right um but me my own personal experience i can i can play pretty good golf thinking about my golf swing yeah for sure yeah and full disclosure on my personal example of yeah i just show up and send it well i also on every single uh, practice pre-shot routine. I'm making this crazy exaggerated move, yeah. feeling it. And then when I step into the ball, I'm that feeling is pretty recent at this point. So I kind of vaguely have that feeling of the track that the club needs to go on. So, uh, to say that there's nothing swing related happening during these five hours is definitely not true. So I'm, I'm with you. I think where it gets a bad rap is where you're trying to do three to four things. Sure. That's where people start to go, hey, you need to free up. But if you've just got one thing, you should be able to do one thing. I think from what I've heard, it's like two things max, three things start. I mean, 
you know, I could maybe try and hinge the club outside and drop it under me as my two thoughts. <clears throat> maybe that's something that someone could manage. Um, but three things like hinge it up, drop it in front, left elbow fly. I don't know. Like yeah. that starts to become a little bit more challenging for sure. So yeah, if you're clogged up with four or five things and it's because you've been watching the wrong stuff, <laughs> that's where I would say, you know, seek some help and, and actually kind of, you know, get everything a little bit more condensed and, and just focus on one maximum two things for sure. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's science and, and like neuroscience too. the, uh, your ability to focus on multiple things at once. And, and it, uh, to your point, I think it's the difference between, am I trying to like, what helps me play better? Right. If I'm going to play worse by not thinking about anything, why would I do that? Right. That sounds like a, uh, failing, formula. So I'm going to think about something and that's what you do. Yeah. I mean, you look at like how Billy Horschel plays. He looks like he's just thinking like crazy out there and you went on a PGA tour doing it. So there's, yeah. and, and then you look at Dustin Johnson and you're like, that bloke just swings it like that every single day of the week. He doesn't, doesn't think about anything, but who knows what's going on in both those minds. But, but one definitely looks like they're thinking and one definitely doesn't, but they can both win. So, um, also think about this, like Rory lately, surely he's been thinking about a lot in his swing, you know, and some might say, yeah, but he's, he hasn't been playing very good. Well, he, he's playing pretty good now, but even so he hasn't been playing good for Rory McIlroy standard. He plays amazing for recreational golf standard and he's thinking. So I think we'll leave it at that. I think there's, there's, yeah, sure. there's both ways that you can be in both camps for sure. Hey guys, Josh here. Just want to pop in and tell you about an awesome new sponsor of the show, the Divot Board, the game-changing golf training aid designed to elevate your swing and revolutionize your game. Whether you're a beginner teeing off for the first time or an elite player striving for perfection, the Divot Board is your ultimate partner for achieving a consistent and effective golf swing. What sets the divot board apart is its patented technology that offers instant feedback, both at home and on the range. With every swing, you gain valuable insights into the crucial point of impact, as well as your swing path, enabling you to make real-time adjustments. This means you'll fine-tune your technique right on the spot, leading to greater consistency and improved ball contact. One of the most important parts of quality practice, something that we talk about all the time on The Mental Golf Show, is instant feedback and nothing does that like the divot board it's really literally just like a real divot what's truly remarkable is the flexibility the divot board brings to your practice whether you're honing your skills with a golf ball or simply focusing on your swing mechanics not even using a ball the divot board accommodates both preferences it's your portable golf coach always ready to provide guidance whether you're indoors or outdoors Mike at the divot board was kind enough to send me one and I personally use mine in my backyard to hit foam golf balls. And I had a little project where I built a hitting platform out of like two by fours and plywood with a custom cutout sized exactly for the divot board. It's really cool. I'm, I'm really proud of it. It's been an awesome way to be able to get quality practice with real feedback without even leaving the house. And take it from me, uh, having a one-year-old and running my own business, this has honestly just been great for my mental and physical health, as well as my golf game. The Divot Board has a genuine turf feel, giving you an authentic golf experience each time you use it. 
It really, it feels like an actual, the actual turf. It's awesome. No matter where you are or what your skill level is, this training aid will undoubtedly help you build the confidence and skill you need to excel on the course. So to upgrade your practice and get your divot board, go to divotboard.com slash mental golf show and use the discount code mental golf 10 at checkout to get 10% off your purchase. That's a great deal. Or go to the link in the show notes of this episode. Just just scroll down under Apple Podcasts or Spotify or whatever you're listening to, and you'll see the link in the show notes. Again, that's divotboard.com slash mentalgolfshow, and use the offer code mentalgolf10 at checkout to get 10% off. Many thanks to Divotboard for partnering with the Mental Golf Show. All right, let's get back to the episode. So uh, take it off of the course and, you're, and we're back on into the practice area. How many things should we be working on at any given time? And, and I know you're always like, boil it down to the root cause. Is it bad to be leaving a swing lesson with three, four, five things to like, okay, in these next two weeks, you need to be working on all five of these things? Yeah, this one's interesting because I think this depends on how often you're going to see the player. Right. And I've, I've definitely felt this in an in-person lesson where I know that this player, you know, they've spoken to me in the pro shop and there's, you know, I've got Saturday game, Saturday game coming up and I'm just hitting it everywhere. And you're like, man, I always say to players like you may have five or six things in your golf swing that are quite poor and affecting your shots, but we need to focus on, we need to try and focus on one thing. And then ideally I need you to come back and see me when this thing is mastered so that we can move on to step number two. If someone just gives me one lesson, I rarely struggle because I'm kind of like, you know, I want to give you one thing, but you're not coming back. So I feel like I need to give you a little bit more. But it's kind of, if someone gave me, if someone said to me, you've got me for three or four months, I'd completely changed, you know, the the style of coaching. But um, yeah, I mean, ideally you want to fix the first thing and you want to make sure that that's the, that's the thing that you're focusing on first. Then once that's been fixed up, we focus on the next thing. Now, the only thing I will say to that is what if three things that you're doing in your swing are causing poor impact? Right. That's when it gets a little bit tough because you're kind of like, all right, I could fix that, but it wouldn't change impact. I could fix that and it will still create poor impact. So we kind of need all three things to kind of, get better before impact gets better. So just talking to the student and saying, you know, um, we need to sort these three things out. So if, if we focus on one thing, your ball striking may not improve straight away, but we will get there. Um, if that makes sense, I ideally, ideally you'd want to work on anything that will improve contact. Sometimes it's hard. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's hard to do. Um, some might disagree with that, but yeah, also I, I just think it depends on, as every coach out there would be saying, like if a student gives you one lesson, there's only so much you can do. So it does depend on the student, how much they practice, how much they play, how much time they're willing to put in. And yeah, sometimes you might be able to achieve something in a week. Sometimes it might take a month. Yeah. yeah. I've got players that practice once a week. I've got players that practice five times a week. So. Yeah, all depends. Yeah. Yeah, I've I've been doing more 
like one-off 30-minute sessions, conversations with people uh, about their mental game. And I really have to fight myself, uh, stop myself from just throwing everything at this person, everything everything. I know, right? Because I know you're probably, you might not be coming back. You might, you might, who knows? But man, there's part of me trying to win them over to stay with me, look how much I know. But there's also like, you need some stuff to carry you into the next two, three months. So that's hard. Yeah, it it is, mate. And um, yeah, I think of, kind of like everyday life if someone said man I, I just want to have big muscles after this first gym session it's just like okay <laughs> you know <laughs> good luck with mate, that yeah exactly so I, I think I think yeah if a coach is in position to just say no to that student probably the best thing I, I did uh in person eventually start saying no like I took 30 minute lessons off my diary within the first year of me coaching because number one, it didn't attract the the right students that I wanted. I wanted the committed, you know, one hour sessions, potentially two hour sessions to really dive into their game. Um, I found that when I offered 30 minute lessons, I just attracted people that number one, wanted a cheaper lesson. They didn't want to pay for the hour. They wanted to pay for half an hour. And number two, the 30 minute lesson player didn't really practice that much. So it's kind of like, you know, um, yeah. Yeah. So I, I tried to attract the, the the more committed player who's willing to come out for an hour, willing to spend on an hourly rate. And um and they were the ones that actually got better results as a result, if that makes sense. Yeah. So oh, totally. If a coach yeah, if a coach is in position and you know you say, Look, I don't offer single lessons. Yeah. Oh, how come? It doesn't work. Yeah. Some coaches might believe that, but yeah, at the same time. If someone wants to test me out for an for, for one lesson, maybe that then leads to um, you know an unlimited coaching program where they see the the results they wanted. But they needed to. I needed to go over to their side of the bridge first to then allow myself to have those conversations with them to, to change their game for life. Yeah, well said. So, something that I've because uh, I've been around a, a, a golf school here in in the states uh, a lot. I do some mental coaching for them. And something that the the owner of that golf school, his name is Robert Limble. He was my old swing instructor. He's my mentor and all that. Uh, awesome coach to some great players. Something he always preaches is you got to repeat the same thing to the player ten times or something by the you know by the end of the session or lesson that so that they'll understand it. And that from a coach's perspective, from you and me. That's easy advice, but let's turn it around to the player. How can how can players, because that's who's listening to this, not swing instructors and coaches, how can a player go to a lesson and like wring all the juice out of it, get get the most out of a lesson? How should they what kind of mental posture should they be in going into a lesson to get the most out of it? Yeah, I think I think being able to put what you believe in aside for a second. And just take in what, what you know. I, I, look, you, you are paying a professional for their advice. You you are there because what you are currently doing in your golf game isn't really working, at least for the start, right? Obviously, when people go back and they're playing well, it's more of a check-in. But at the end of the day, you are struggling with your game. What you're doing is not working. So you are paying a professional for their help. Now, for me, it's like, look, here's what I think. Uh, and this is where the conversation still needs to happen. I need to know their concepts 
Like if they, I always say this to players, if, if people think hanging back and hitting up on a golf ball is going to get the ball in the air, they're probably going to swing like that. That's their concept. If I change that around and I said, hey, we actually have to get the body more in front and get the club to hit ball first, turf after, and that's all I told them, maybe their, their swing looks different. And that's just a concept change. So I think from a player's perspective, just be open to trying something new. And, you know, listen to the coach. If, if you don't feel like you resonated with the coach, that's fine. Give him a text, give him a call and say, hey, look, enjoyed the lesson, but I think I'm going to go and do something else. That's completely okay. We would 100% respect that. But don't come in challenging everything. Ben Hogan did this. Jack Nicholas did just, you know, you're talking about once in a generation player here. Um, and just be open, just have a growth mindset, just be open to, to what the coach has to say and, and try it, give it time, give it time for sure. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. That's, that's really well said. Having a vulnerability, humility, like, how are you going to go, how are you going to pay for a lesson and then show up with your own philosophy and try to get the coach to believe your own philosophy? That just doesn't, doesn't really make economic sense. Yeah. And I think, you know, I understand from a student's perspective, like when I was early on in coaching, I could have been a bit naive here, but I always wondered why in the golf industry, the student came to the coach telling them what they needed to work on. And I was kind of always like, hmm, when I look at footy coaches, right? NFL, whatever, right? That the coach of the team typically can see from the sidelines what the team needs to work on. And then their practice that week is based on what he saw in the game. And he went, right, guys, your defense was terrible. We're working on defense this week. Um, the players don't go, hey, coach, this is what we're going to work on this week. And the coach go, oh, yeah, whatever you guys want, I'll do. Mm-hmm. Um, so when I, you know, when I was doing a lot of in-person stuff, mostly my first session was, was um, we're going out on course for nine holes. I just want to watch you. And it was, hard, it was a hard sell because people were like, well, I'm slicing it. I already know I'm slicing it. I need that fixed. And I'm like, yeah, that's good. I just want to ask you some more questions. But from that, I was able to then say, hey, look, yep, your swing needs some work. How mu- you know, Are you prepared to work on it? But you're also losing, you also had 38 putts today for nine holes. <laughs> like <laughs> there's a massive error there. Like that's worse than your ball striking. So that way the coach then becomes the leader and that's where the you know that's where the communication then comes in with player and coach and of course whatever the whatever the player wants i can give them but at the same time it's like look let's meet halfway here i'll give you this but the next lesson i need is is on your putting can you do that for me sure cool so then we get a little bit more on board with each other and yeah but it, it always struck me it was always quite weird that 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 happened in the golf world was the 30 marker telling the professional what they needed to work on. Um, that, that was always a shock to me. Didn't quite understand yeah. that, but um, yeah, yeah, that, that is, that's such a, that's such a difficult thing. Yeah, you know, this is the mental golf show. So the mental game is so much different, right? It's, it's a lot. Yes. I have the, the knowledge and experience that a client might not, but they bring their own, things that they're that they say this is what i yeah. uh, need to work on and if it's someone that lives in australia for me 
I don't, I can't go out on the course with them. So in a lot of ways they do have to drive it. And, um, the, the cool thing about what you do is show me your swing and leave your own opinions aside of what you feel like you need to work on. I'll tell you what I think you need to work on, but I'm assuming you also take into, uh, on just a skillist lesson, I'm assuming you take into account their regular miss, right? So that you do let them drive some of it, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, of course. Like I was just thinking as you were talking there, like even if I hadn't seen their swing and, and I said, just send me your stats, that's proof enough that what they are saying, they might say, Matt, my driving is just terrible and they're losing eight shots around driving. You're like, yeah, mate, you are correct. Let's do some <laughs> driving work. Um, but, I, Matt, I've done, I've done nine holes with players who have said they've got a driving problem and they hit every single fairway. And I'm like, what, what's the issue with your driver here? I don't hit it out of the center all the time. I'm like, okay, so that's that's your issue. Now, what's your goal? Is it to, is it to shoot lower scores or is it to hit driver out of the middle? Um, and if they say, oh, I've just, I, I have 28 points every time I go out and play. And I say, okay, you hit 10 out of 14 fairways today. Like, that's, that's not a driving issue. So what? Mm. let's dive in deeper. But um, yeah, whereas... I think what you were saying there with 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 the mental stuff, yeah, people have got to have an understanding of what they do, share that with you, and then you can help them. But uh, look, it goes both ways. It goes both ways. Um, we've both got to be on the same page. And like I said, I'll go over to their side of the bridge first. Once I've built some trust with that player, we can then have those conversations. Um, and then ho- hopefully, ideally, we, we come in together as a cohesive unit and we're achieving both our goals you know i want to ultimately i want the player to be a better golfer sometimes the golfer just wants to hit it better so we've got to combine those two aspects and and bring out the best of that player yeah i i like your go to their side of the bridge and from the player's perspective is i've got to allow for a give and take with my instructor i can't i can't be so stubborn with my own philosophy so so something that maybe we can kind of head towards the finish line on is is something that you have a lot of experience in is practice and practice planning. Um, and you've got uh, products you sell around this, so I'm not telling you to give away all your secrets or anything, but do you, uh, and this is kind of, a, uh, I don't know, a debated topic uh, on Twitter at least, but do you have opinions on how much block, like random uh those kind of different types of practice do you do you have opinions on um you should just be lasering golf balls constantly hitting the same club over and over what what's your kind of general philosophy on breaking up practice by by different kinds of priorities i think it's all correct let's put it that way there's nothing right or wrong um i i bring it back to my experience when i was you know when i was just starting my traineeship and and i was getting coaching all I ever got was technique. I never got how to practice. No one ever taught me. Um, it was always turn up to the lesson, warm up, you're hitting it right, fix the right, pay your money, see you later. Um, and it wasn't until I started coaching full time that I started to understand golf as a whole. I understood ball flight laws. Mm. I understood how, you know, if, if someone's hitting a big hook, all they need to do is understand how to hit a slice. That's it. So sometimes it's not about fixing the elbow position, doing this, doing 
hit a freaking slice, right? Now, I've had some back and forth on Twitter about this with 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 people. Um, for me, I can hit all nine shots, right? So, yeah, left to right, right to left, high, low, big hooks, big slices. So when I'm on the golf course, and let's say I've got out of bounds on the right, and I'm someone who actually misses right, I actually have a, a bit of a push cut pattern. So if I've got hazard on the right or out of bounds on the right, I'll aim it up the right-hand side and sling a hook away from the out of bounds, mm. right? That's how I like to play trouble shots. I don't like to aim left and cut it because my push cut comes into play. So I start it too straight and it cuts into the, into the out of bounds. So I actually like to aim it there, chuck the ball back or whatever it might be and just sling a hook. It's in play. Now, a lot of golfers will just, you know, obviously we, we, we all know about shot patterns and, and moving your aim further left and just allowing that variance to come in. 100% agree with that for sure. Um, for me, I find that if I can curve a golf ball in a certain way, I know the miss is going to be in a certain spot. Um, now, do I advise shot shaping on the golf course? No, because it's too hard for people, right? Like, I actually think, I mean, Tiger's obviously the greatest of all time, in my opinion, but there's been some times where he's aimed left of a hole and hit a pull when he was trying to hit a cut. Now, you got to argue, right? you got to say, well, what if you had just aimed at the middle of the hole and hit a range swing, just hit a seven iron on the range, right? Would you have been better off there? Now, I'm not going to argue with Tiger, but <laughs> you've got to wonder, right? And so I think on the range, if you can understand how to shape your shots, not not because you want to play shapes out on the golf course, but because you want to know how does the club move, where is the club face pointing, and you can change that whenever you like, that means when you get on the course and you're slicing the ball and you're trying to fix things, you know what's causing the slice, so just hit the hook that you've practiced on the, on the, court, uh, on the range. Now, if we're talking about like actual practice practice, I would say that block practice is great for, you know, working on your swing, uh, technique practice, et cetera. But block block practice sometimes gets a bad rap um, and and it doesn't allow you to put yourself under pressure, right? Now, you've had Sherman and Adam Young on here before, right? So your listeners are going to be aware of of what Adam Young and, 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 and those kind of guys teach. And yeah, I think there's a there's a great part of that. You know, hit hit it out of the toe, hit it out of the heel. That in itself is block practice, but it's not the block practice that we know of. Block practice that we know of is a bucket of balls, seven iron, bang, 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 bang. Um, so block practice can actually be with that same seven iron hitting some shapes. Now that's kind of half and half, right? It's block practice and it's random practice. But sure. it could also be competitive practice in the same same spot. But it's it's a pretty deep dive for sure, for sure. Uh, we could, yeah, you could spend a whole podcast on it. But yeah, that's how I like to say to players, like, you, if you want to understand your own game, and this is what made me the player I become without any coaching. Like, um, coaches didn't teach me this. I, I learned this stuff. I was like, what if I just try and hit a hook? What if I try and hit a slice? Hey, I know, I now know how to, move my golf club with it in space. I think amateur golfers, a lot of amateur golfers say, why would I do that? That just sounds stupid. It's like, try it, try it. 
I'd rather understand my swing when there's trouble on the right than, you know, carve one right and, and not know why it happened. Yeah, that's so that's so interesting. That the idea of exaggerate the out of controlness so I know where it's gonna go, even if it might not mm. necessarily be pretty. So I'm I'm gonna intentionally hit an ugly shot to counteract my tendency. Uh, that's fascinating. I, I've never and, and as and it comes from a place of like I understand my swing. I understand what it feels like to do different things. That's really fascinating. Well, if you look at the tee shot on the 18th of the U.S. Open from Wyndham Clark, yeah. how much curvature did that ball have on it? It was like a hundred. It was like a hundred feet, right? Like, and he aimed so far left and just carved this thing. Yeah. And the reason why is because he wanted the spin axis of the ball to be right. He wanted it to be to the right. So he knew the moment he yeah, he knew that that ball was always going to be cutting. Now, why didn't he just aim straight? Maybe because when he was nervous, he has the blocks or he has the overcuts. But Tiger's made a career on it, right? He hits a stinger for a reason. It's his go-to shot. He doesn't just stand there and just hit a stock shot. He he hits a shot that he knows the ball's going to end up over here. Tiger's one of the best in the world for missing the ball in the right spots. He shapes his ball accordingly on certain holes. He purposely misses on certain holes on a certain side, whereas golfers, that, that yeah, I find that they don't understand that concept or they're not willing to try it. They're not willing to go out of their comfort zone of seven iron after seven iron, trying to hit it perfectly straight. I've, I've got a, I've got something coming up very soon that I basically say, if you try and hit it straight, you won't hit it straight. But if you understand how to hit a fade, hit a draw, you will then understand how to neutralize all of that and be closer to a straight shot. So hmm. that's how I look at it anyway. Man, that's fascinating. And, and I like the concept of, I'm I'm not stepping up here and hoping that a shot goes in a good place. I'm proactively making a shot go to a place. It might be ugly, but it, it I'm in control of it. I'm proactively making it do that. Yeah, I think I think that that word ugly that you just said. I think a lot of golfers <laughs> try and make everything pretty in the game of golf. The game of golf's not like that. Um, Look at the way Tiger's final hole of Augusta went when he won in 2019. Carve three wood in the tree, chip it out, you know, chip cut eight iron. It was it was an ugly hole, but he knew he had to get it done. Gary Woodland on the uh, at Pebble Beach for the US Open. Flare cut out to the right. Why? Because there's water left. Where am I not going to go, right? And he ended up making birdie. He flare cut, lay out, wedge it on, made birdie. So the best players in the world know how to get it done whereas they're not they're not concerned about pretty this is where i think golfers you know they have the wrong idea about the game and i and i understand it from a recreational golfer's perspective they want to go out they want to have fun and fun is hitting good golf shots i can understand that um but if you're looking to lower scores ugly can can work and it does work as well um so there's a fine line yeah well, that's a that's a mic drop moment if I've if I've ever heard one. That's that's that I love that concept. So we had one listener uh, who asked three questions, but I actually think we answered all three throughout this episode. So um, really, really good stuff, uh, Ryan. So I appreciate it. I, I appreciate you being here. Um, if you wanted to sell something, right, the floor is yours. Where would you send people? Uh, I know you from Twitter, but 
the floor is yours. What would you sell to people? Look, if you want it, go get it. If you don't want it, that's fine. Um, but what what I've tried to do with with some products that I've got on my website is so many golfers. I talk to golfers every day, and it's always you get a lesson. How do you practice after your lesson? I don't care if it's with me, whether it's with another coach, but how do you practice that swing change or that swing technique or that swing tip that you've received? I've got all of that in a video series that I've just launched in the last couple of months. Um, it's basically, I call it the ultimate guide to practice. Um, and it gives you a complete rundown of how to make swing changes, block practice, random practice, uh, competitive practice, something called interleaved practice that not a lot of people talk about. Uh, so it's all in there. If you want to grab that, it's on my website. Um, yeah, search Ryan Moke Golf. Um, and it's it's all on there. I've got them on my links on all my Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, YouTube. Uh, my handles are pretty much at Ryan Moke Golf. So you can find everything on my website that you need. Got it. Well, I'll, uh, everyone listening, I'll have all those links in the show notes of this episode. So definitely go check Ryan out because he's got he's got some great concepts. He's um, super thoughtful, uh, more than a lot of swing instructors that I've experienced and. I know other people have experienced. So Ryan, I really appreciate your thoughtfulness today. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, Josh. All right, everyone. Hope you enjoyed this conversation with Ryan Moke. These two episodes with him have really been cool to hear from another swing instructor on how we as the student should be thinking as we go into a lesson and how to get the most out of our time with a coach. I hope you came away with some of the same insights that I did. And if you liked this episode, you'd probably also like my two-part conversation that I had with Will Shaw, where we talk about the different types of practice and how to structure them. Those episodes were released on June 27th and July 4th of 2023. I highly recommend you guys check those out. I really liked Will and the way he, that he thought about practice planning. It's something that he talks about a lot. Uh, he runs a blog called Golf Insider UK. Uh, it's just, it's such a good place with lots of rich uh, information and great resources. So go back to those episodes uh, and listen to those with Will Shaw. I highly recommend those. And as I always mentioned at the end of these episodes, what you've heard isn't therapy. It's meant for information and entertainment purposes only. If you feel like you need personal help on some deeper things you're going through, I encourage you to go talk to a licensed professional. But on the golf psychology front, if you feel like what you've heard doesn't quite cut it, and you'd like to work one-on-one -on -one with someone, I'm a golf psychology coach. I work with the players all over the world on improving their minds so they can improve their performance on the course. If you'd like to get in touch with me, feel free to send an email to mentalgolfshow at gmail.com or visit my website, joshnicholsgolf.com. And again, if you want to improve the quality of your practice and get the most out of your time, then let me hand build you a custom weekly practice plan. Go to joshnicholsgolf.com slash practice dash plan or visit the link in the show notes to learn more. I also encourage you to go take the mental game assessment. It's a free 15 minute questionnaire that'll give you your mental strengths and areas for improvement. Uh, it's you don't have to talk to me. You don't have to spend any money. It's just a really great free resource. And the link to everything that I've mentioned, including Ryan Moke's stuff, will be in the show notes of this episode. All right. Thanks again to everyone who listens to The Mental Golf Show. Whether you're new here or you've been here since day one, I really appreciate the community that you have been a part of building. 
If you've learned something on this episode, go subscribe and leave a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We recently passed the 100 review mark on Spotify. I don't know what we're at on Apple, but that's awesome. That's so cool. Uh, Thank you, everyone who has left a review. So if you haven't yet, go leave a review. Uh, And I know there's a lot more people that listen to these than have left reviews. So go leave a review. Maybe mention the biggest thing that you've learned listening to the podcast, maybe something you learned from this episode specifically, and of course, underneath those five stars that you leave. And I would love it if you shared this episode with a friend who maybe they try to tell the coach what they need to work on instead of letting the coach tell them. That's probably not the best way to get the most out of a lesson. Okay, thanks for listening to The Mental Golf Show. I'm Josh Nichols, and I will catch you guys next time.